Welcome everybody back to The Basement Binge. And even though I have a cold and I'm a little miserable, that is just amazing to say. It has been way too long since I recorded an episode as school was just crushing my life. But school is over. Uh, I'm on to a new semester, taking about half as many classes, and it's going to be way easier. And I'm excited for the chance to record episodes. It's been a while, about a month and a half since the last episode. And four months, almost four months to the day since the last Transformers episode, which was the binge that is still unfinished. We got to get out the review for The Last Night in Bumblebee, which is two episodes I recorded with my dear friends Matt and Rob four months ago. So you're listening to those episodes this week and starting this weekend as I go and see Puss in Boots 2 Animation Hall of Fave 3, which I'm extremely excited to be starting. What a great way to come back to the basement binge and be recording podcasts again with Animation Hall of Fave, where the beginning of the year of January and February, I get to enjoy some animated movies that are phenomenal, and you get to enjoy them with me. So that starts after these Transformers episodes with Puss in Boots 2, a recent release, and then we're going to catch up as well because almost a year ago, I recorded three episodes on the How to Train Your Dragon series with Matt and Rob, and they were intended to be released during Animation Hall of Fave 2. They were not, <laughs> and uh, those are phenomenal movies and phenomenal episodes that Matt and Rob recorded with me and they were super fun so those will be released during animation hall of fave 3 as we strive to catch up with some phenomenal episodes i would not be going back into the archives if the episode wasn't worth it so it is so exciting things coming here at the basement binge enjoy this episode as we finish out the transformers binge finally and get into animation hall of fave 3 thanks for your patience sticking with me as i just did this new schedule great things are coming on to the actual episode Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of The Basement Binge. Very excited to be recording this episode as we finish our binge through Transformers with the final live-action film, Bumblebee. This is a lot of fun. It's a film that has been reviewed before on The Basement Binge as Matt and myself did it together. So naturally, Matt is back here with me again, and also Rob from Matt Goes to the Movies. Thank you both for being here. Absolutely. Excited to be here. Yeah, I was looking forward to rewatching this. It's such a fun movie. It is, yeah, and and it's refreshing after uh, the last two movies we've been through, especially with the dislike that the two of you had for the last night that I had to continually defend. Um, Whoa, don't but, don't don't put words in my mouth. I never said I didn't <laughs> like the last night. I said I hated it. But <laughs> excuse me, I was being uh, I was being kind, generous. That's what I was searching for. Uh, yeah, so Bumblebee finishing out Transformers. This has been a ton of fun working our way through the Michael Bay Transformers movies, and now with Bumblebee, great film. So. We are just going to get started with the very first segment, Two Cents, which is completely spoiler-free, our spoiler-free thoughts about Bumblebee, and uh, moving on from that. Rob, since you have not given your thoughts about Bumblebee on the Basin Binge, we'll let you go first. Yeah, so uh, again, this is a great palate cleanser. Coming off of the last night, um, what a fun movie. Just, I think there's a lot of things about this movie that just work. I, I believe out of the entire live action series, this is probably the best complete movie of the series. You may prefer the first one for its entertainment value. And, and I would totally listen to anybody who said that was their favorite. Um, that might, the first one might still be my favorite of the series, but in terms of just a, a functional effective movie, this is the best of the series. Um, there's a few things that, that don't particularly work. And there's some, there's some pitfalls that you run into when you do prequels, um, that, that happen before other things that are supposed to chronologically happen later. There's, there's some wonkiness there, 
But, you know, Michael Bay is our executive producer for this, but didn't direct it. So all of the things that we disliked about the first several are not present here. There's there's no objectification involved. There's none of the juvenile, immature humor that is maybe a little bit funny, but sometimes just falls completely flat. That's all gone here. Um, and we just get this fun movie that strips down to just really one Transformer and really one human character. And focusing on just their relationship alone, I think is what makes this effective. You know, thinking about how much do we really know about any of the other Transformers we've seen in any of the other live action films? We don't really know a lot. How much have they really grown? You don't really see a lot of it from start to finish. Same thing with the human characters. I don't know how much they truly grow from the beginning of one film to another. Maybe a little bit. And you can, you can make the case for certain ones, I guess. but. I, I feel like this is the best story and the most effective story of all of them. Very, very well said, Rob. I'll uh, go next and then Matt will have you close this out. Um, this movie is a fantastic argument uh, or defense rebuttal. That's what I was searching for. This is a fantastic rebuttal to the argument that the Transformers movies focus too much on human characters. Because uh, there's a decent focus to human characters on this. And it's one of the things that works about it but it's not at the expense of missing out on the character of Bumblebee. Like Bumblebee in this movie isn't an action figure, if you will, where he's actually a character who has growth and has progression along with the human characters and is very focused. And I agree with Rob. This is probably the best story of all the Transformers movies. The entertainment value and, and, and energy of it is a little different. And there are some missteps. I, it's definitely not perfect. Coming back to it, there were some of them where I was like, oh yeah, this isn't as like, perfectly polished i would say uh as others and and like especially after michael bay michael bay like even if it's a turd he is very good at polishing his movies if you know what i mean like there, there is very much a polish on michael bay movies that that works in some ways and this doesn't have that and i think part of the reason is that travis knight the director this is only his, his second film he's kind of a newer director and you kind of get that um but it's it doesn't really take away from the movie horribly. It's still really enjoyable. Haley Seinfeld is fantastic. The action for I mean, it, it is a Transformer movie. It's not Michael Bay, but it has great action sequences as well. It's just it's a solid movie and a solid Transformers movie, while being a complete opposite to anything that a quote Transformers movie is. Uh, so yeah, it's it, it's it's a lot of fun. I I. It is one of those movies that like I don't really think about frequently, and then when I put it on, I'm like, oh wow, I really like this, and that was the consensus as I as I watched it. You you took a little bit of my thunder because um, I was I was going to say about the human characters, and this is more of a a coming of age story than anything. Um, but yeah. Harrison, I feel like a lot of people don't know this. What's the other movie that this guy's directed? Because I love it, but I feel like it definitely doesn't get recognition. I think you know. Uh, yeah, Kubo and the Two Strings, one of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah. Uh, he is the uh, CEO, I guess you would call him, of Leica Studios, who did Coraline and Kubo and the Two Strings. So. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely love that movie. But yeah, for me, they're going back again. There's definitely some things um, that don't work with this movie that I don't know, maybe because I had such it like 
it didn't come out right after the last night, obviously, but still having the last night, like when Bumblebee first released, like the last thing that I remember about Transformers, I, I was probably a little bit more forgiving of anything that wasn't perfect in this movie. Um, and again, that's not to say that this has like dropped or anything like that in terms of my enjoyment value, but there's definitely some areas where you sit there and go, eh, it still has some of the same pitfalls that the other Transformers movies had, I believe. Um, but this is an incredibly fun, but also, again, I feel emotional movie. There's a lot that you can take from this. The action's really good. The Transformers design, which I'm sure we'll talk about, is something that people, regardless of how they felt about the Transformers movies, and I'm somebody who really liked the designs, seeing these new designs, I'll say in quotation marks, was really, really cool. Um, but this is a really enjoyable movie. That's only plagued, but like it's really plagued by the fact that it went the X-Men first class route where it was going to be a complete separate universe. And then there was rumblings that they were going to do another Transformers movie and they added some things that make it line up with Transformers one, which I think hurts the film. Very, very well said. I uh, really agree with quite a bit of what was said. So, um, yeah, this is a, a film that I, I'm just like excited to talk about Bumblebee. Like, I really remember this from the first episode that Matt and I did. I, in fact, it was the first episode that Matt and I recorded ever. It was like the first conversation we had ever, I think, as well. Uh, very fond of that episode. And it, it wasn't even supposed to be Bumblebee. No, it wasn't. Yeah, yeah, that was a, did was, you pick Bumblebee? Well, it was supposed to be iRobot. And then oh, yeah. um, Cade and... Kelton. Uh, Kelton. Um, weren't able to do that show. And so it was like, well, out of these ones, like, what did you like? What do you want to do? And I was like, well, do you want to do Bumblebee? Oh, yeah. Now I remember. Yeah. So Bumblebee. And here's the thing that I that I'm reminded of as we start to record. Like, this is just a movie that I think I just have a pleasant time talking about. Like, if, if you get what I mean, like, it's just one of those movies where you're like, yeah, that was pleasant. And I enjoy mm -hmm. talking about it type of thing. So um yeah we'll, we'll get into it more um right after this segment where which is rummage for the rotten as we have guests here at the basin binge we get a guess who's going to be the rotten or the person who likes it the least at the end of the episode we'll rate it out of five reels and uh the person with the lowest rating is the rotten this is hard where your two cents didn't give me anything to go off of <laughs> and i and we i don't think rummage for the rotten was a thing when matt first joined so i don't know what his star what his real rating is for this i don't even know what my real rating is going to be for this i have no clue i don't even know what to guess like i don't know where to go do any of you have a guess so i feel like this is one of the ones that I almost want to say it's going to be nobody, but I think strictly based just on the scale in which we rate it. Um, I feel like it might be you, Harrison, because I think I rated it. Um, I think I rated it a little bit higher than you when we first talked about it overall, just by a tiny bit. And for some reason, I get the feeling that Rob really enjoys this movie. Yeah, I think you might be right. What do you think, Rob? I think that uh, Matt is going to be the rotten, and it's not going to be by much. I think I'm going to be a quarter of a reel ahead of his rating. 
I'm calling it. I'm I'm pointing right to the outfield and I'm calling my shot. A quarter of a reel. Okay. Yeah. All right. We'll remember that. I did we let me pull up my notes. Did we even rate this when we rated everything beforehand? Uh we did not. We just did the right. microwave moves. Uh yeah, naturally so. Uh so I have nothing to go off of. So yeah, that's our that's our guess. Matt and I think that it's gonna be me slightly, and then Rob thinks that it's gonna be Matt, so we'll see what happens. So we'll move on to the other segments. We'll get into spoilers. Before we do that, I want to give Matt and Rob a chance to talk about things happening over at Matt Goes the Movies. They, as the day of recording this, uh, they just released a bunch of episodes. So Matt and Rob, the floor is yours. Yeah, I mean, uh, from the the main portion, I'll let Rob talk about that that second half, but from the main portion of the show, uh, have done an episode on She-Hulk, did an episode uh on Dragon Ball Super Superhero, the newest movie from that series. Um, we've done Pray Together, uh, the three of us. I did a review on The Black Phone. So there, there's been a bunch of stuff out. I'm still working on, I had some some audio issues with my DC League of Super Pets and Nope Review, so I am still working on getting those out. Um, but yeah, a lot of, lot of stuff coming, and I'll be covering She-Hulk with uh, what I call She-Hulk shorts every uh, Thursday after their release. Just a, a quick little 10 or under minute review of, of each episode. She-Hulk shorts. That's a catchy name. <laughs> yeah, it's a fun show. I think um, it, we're one episode in so far and I recommend it. I think it's um, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a different show that we haven't seen before, which is which is good. So um I am fortunate enough that Matt affords me a piece of bandwidth on his on his <laughs> network for a spinoff show. We call it the Extended Podcast Universe uh, for a show called Rob's Reviews. Uh, recently published an ep- a review on uh, the Minions Rise of Gru with my oldest daughter, Lillian. Uh, that was a lot of fun to do. Uh, it's much shorter, so uh, check that out if you haven't uh, seen that yet. And then uh, uploaded today was uh, another episode that I did with my brother Eric on a a lesser known film called running scared with Paul Walker, that it's one of those ones that you're not going to ever really know about this movie. If somebody doesn't recommend it to you. So I am going to be that friend that will recommend this movie to you. You will get to the end of this movie and you will say, thank you friend for recommending this to me because (laughs) I had never even heard of this. And this was such a great time. I'm glad that I'm aware of this movie's existence. So um, yeah, we flip from a very family friendly movie to a movie where we have a segment called F Bombathon, where Eric has to tell us how many times that particular word is used in the film. So um, <laughs> it's kind of, uh, you know, the the EPU is kind of a wild place. We we, <laughs> we run the gambit from uh, from all all aspects. But uh, yeah, running scared is up and available for download wherever you get fine podcasts like this. Yeah. Matt goes to the movies. Linked below, search it, find it everywhere. Matt goes to the movies. Uh, yeah, so exciting episodes. I also know that Matt is working on some episodes that we might be recording together. So always, if you're not already subscribed to The Basin Binge and also Matt goes to the movies, because we like talking about movies and there is plenty of movies to talk about that I'm sure between the two of us, or technically the three of us, but the two shows, we will never run out. So <laughs> we will keep going until we do. Um, yeah, so we're, we're going to get into the episode, get into the spoilers here with the next segment, Pick Your Poison. This is the rating scale here at the Basement Binge, all about the bingeability of the film. How would you choose to interact with it after watching it? There's four ratings. The lowest is very self-explanatory to never watch it again, uh, which 
I believe Matt gave that to The Last Night and uh, Revenge of the Fallen. So Bumblebee, I think, has cleared that bar already. So we're on good standing. <laughs> uh, so yeah, never watch it again. Above that is to stream it. You're, you're browsing. You're looking for something to watch on a service you're already paying for. You'd be willing to click on it. Above that is rent it. In the right circumstances, you pay a few bucks. And the top of the list is to buy it digitally, physically, whatever. Um, how would you? How would you? Would you, would you want to own it? Um, which I will just go first here and say I own this movie. I am a big collector of movies. I've mentioned that many times on the podcast. Um, But as I started buying Blu-rays, this was actually one of the first ones. I wish I would have kept better track just for the sake of funness. But I think this was either the first or one of the first 4K Blu-rays I bought. And it was like a big deal that I was getting 4K for the first time. Um, So So I remember being... You don't have a cool steelbook for it? Just the 4K? No, I I don't even know if there is one. And I had I owned this movie as much as I talk about my uh, the steel books for Transformers. I owned this one before I ever owned those, so there, that gives you the priority <laughs> of buying that I had for these movies. Um, but yeah, it, it's one of those movies that I like. So my wife and I we got married in May of 2018, and this movie came out in December of 2018. So still in kind of like that newish part of your marriage. And uh, we went to this movie together and it was just like a lot of fun. And I remember being really, really surprised and also surprised that my wife had fun that like she didn't hate it because she hates the other Transformers. And uh, so that was one of those is like, yeah, this is a movie because of that experience. I want to watch this again. And whether it was the last time I watched it with Matt or just for fun or even today, like every time I watch it, I said this earlier, like I just really enjoy it. Like I have a good time. I kind of forget about it, but I can... I do own it, and for the sake of the segment, I would buy it again because I can see myself every once in a while just pulling it out and watching it and having a good time. My wife came down um, halfway through, or you know, about a third into the movie, and sat down. And she's like, "Oh, is this Bumblebee? I love Bumblebee. Why didn't you tell me you were watching it?" And like, she—that is not something my wife typically does. So, and she was watching it and had a great time, and we both did. And like, this is one of those movies that I know can consistently deliver that type of experience. So, I, I totally will watch this again, and uh, I would buy it if I didn't already have it. Uh, but Matt, which pick your poison? Yeah, I mean, I, this is definitely a stream for me. Um, you know, as I have gotten away from purchasing movies back maybe two, three years ago when I was completely like that and I just wanted like physical editions of things, uh, this would have been a purchase. But as as my habits change, uh, this is a stream. This is something that I would continue to watch. I would throw, you know, if it's just all right, I'm going to lay in bed or whatever the case may be. I will throw Bumblebee on because it, it, it is. It's a pleasant movie to watch. I have fun with it, but at the end of it, I just, it's weird, but I feel relaxed after I watch yeah. this, like after I watch this movie. Um, yeah, well said. So yeah, it, it's definitely a stream for me. All right, Rob. So we finished this earlier tonight and uh, one of my co-hosts over in the EPU was watching it with me and uh, she said, hey, daddy, because uh, she's been listening, by the way, to all the Transformers reviews. Oh, uh, awesome. So, cool. Yeah. So she said, hey, daddy, what I'm would sorry, you do? I think I swear in a co- I think I swore once or twice <laughs> in those. <laughs> yeah, nothing. She she used to ride a public school bus. Nothing she hasn't heard before. <laughs> um, but uh, she said, Daddy, how are you going to rank this for Pick Your Poison? And I and I pointed to the DVD case, the, the DVD and Blu-ray case that was, you know, three feet away from her. And I said and I asked her where this would fit <laughs> in that case. So much like Matt's buying habits are, are changing. It, it 
me saying that I would not buy this movie is not an indication that I dislike this movie. It's just I buy such streaming has completely changed the ease of access. Like if the only way to rent a movie was still to like go to a family video or a blockbuster or something like that. And I can remember when uh, grocery stores had, you know, a video section in them. Like if that was the only way to do it, I could definitely see myself saying, oh, yeah, I would prefer to own this. Um, but. I can pull up through my phone and I don't even have to do it through my phone. I can just ask one of my Google homes to rent this movie for me and pay $3.99 and be pretty happy about spending $3.99 to see this. So just on the simple fact that I don't have room to store movies that I'm not going to watch over and over and over again, um, I would happily spend $3.99 if this was not available on Paramount Plus or if I lost access to Paramount Plus or something like that. So this is a rent for me. Yeah, very, very uh, fair on the pick your poison. I think it's funny, Rob. I think you're the one who first said it. You always kind of have to explain the rating <laughs> in this segment. Yeah. I can't Which, just give a rating. I mean, the podcast started in uh, 2019, if I'm if my memory serves me right. Streaming and movie buying was just a different thing. It was a whole different beast. And as Matt said, like my collecting habits were very different. And so this segment is just weirder and weirder and weirder to me like even as i who like i'm not just someone who likes movies and buy them it's like i actually consider myself a collector of blu-rays which is kind of dumb to say out loud but like even for me i find myself buying less and less movies and like just thinking like i am subscribed to a service where i know this will be available do i love it that much where i really feel like i need it you almost have to reframe buy it to would you either buy it on blu-ray or would you buy would you pay for a subscription to a streaming service specifically for access to this you almost have right. to reframe in 2022 how you think about it in that way yes especially too because the quality in which you can watch these movies you know they're in 4k on your television off streaming um i just watched off disney plus what movie was it um I, it was one of the marvel movies i I don't know why I'm drawing a complete blank, but, you know, they have it in IMAX. Thor the Dark World. No, no, not that one. Thor the Dark Um, World. But, like, you know, it's, oh, they have certain movies on there that are, you can watch it in IMAX enhanced. Oh, yeah. So the quality, you know, you have that, you know, you have the 4K releases. So the quality in which you watch these movies now off your streaming services, um, you know, especially in today's age, if you you know, wait for Black Friday or anything and buy a 4K TV. It's like, yeah, just the the quality was different too. just even three years ago. Yeah. And there's a part of me that like, so obviously I I mentioned I own the Blu-ray of this and it also comes with a digital copy and I have Paramount Plus. So I could have just like pulled out my Roku remote and went to Paramount Plus or went to Vudu and watched it without getting out the Blu-ray and turning on the Blu-ray player and like all that labor. And, uh, I find myself like holding on to that for some like old man get off my lawn reason. Like <laughs> this is superior. Well, and really it's not. Like the Blu-ray player remote, like you have to aim it at it. You can't just like press the button wherever you want and it like is annoying, you know. Like it's actually kind of a cumbersome thing, but there's something about it that I can't give up yet. So Harrison turned into the the old man that owned the movie theater in Age of Extinction. <laughs> 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 uh, what what did he say uh like uh, uh 
sequels and remakes, a bunch of crap or something yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think that overall we we are all under the consensus that like this is a movie that we would happily watch again. And uh like in watching it, we would enjoy it. And after the fact, we would be pleasant with the time or financial investment that we devoted to it. Uh the segment might need to be re-evaluated, <laughs> but we'll see. Um so yeah, moving on to the next segment live up this is where we talk about our expectations for the movie what we had for them if this was our first time or on a rewatch and is if it is able to live up for those expectations as the segment is named so uh matt i'm curious what how did it live up for you yeah i mean the first time that i watched it my expectations were i will say they were a little tepid because again coming off the last night although i really like age of extinction um i was just i was thinking about that movie again uh because i my youtube i was on there you know and it kept coming up recommended clips um optimus's transformation in age of extinction where he turns back into like regular optimus and not rusty truck and i i challenge you to like pull up that scene on youtube and you don't get pumped. I think it's his greatest entrance in the Transformers movies with the new theme, his new look, the Autobots, like all being excited that he's back. Um, but yeah, the last night was for me, it was just so bad that it like really had my expectations like ah, just be careful. But then the trailer came out and it looked totally different from anything that we had gotten. and. When I first saw the movie, it completely blew away what my expectations were. Um, I was really shocked with what they were able to do and how they were able to craft this movie in terms of there's a lot of focus on the human characters. And while I think the first Transformers movie did it good, and I think Age of Extinction did a good job, um, this movie really does, I think, for the most part, nail the human characters and make you actually care about them because it's a smaller focus in this movie um, on human characters. So it, it definitely went past my expectations. Yeah. I I, I uh, remember when this tr- like movie was announced in the trailers release and like just that almost like the excitement that, Hey, this is different. Uh, yeah, that was a lot of fun. So Rob, I'm curious, did it live up for you at all? Yeah, you know, um, it's probably my second or third time watching this movie, and I'd remembered enjoying it, and I still enjoyed it watching it this time through. There's there's some things that I think stood out a little bit more to me, um, and that happens a lot on rewatches. There's things that maybe you kind of excuse just because you're you're kind of getting into the movie, and then as you think about it a little bit deeper, there's certain things that you just can't help but notice. Um, but in terms of just where this sits in the franchise, what a, what a a truly needed injection of just quality into this franchise. I mean, this, this franchise needed something like this to get people excited about transformers again. And, and thinking about, you know, the upcoming, I think is the, is the subheading age of beasts. I think that's set for next year. Is that the name of the, the next transformers movie? I think it's, I think it's just called beast wars. Be- or beast, yeah, beast wars. Yeah. wars or rise of the beasts. Oh, that's something what it is. Rise of beasts. Yeah. yeah. And thinking about that, you know, I'm more excited for that, having seen this. Um, So as far as my expectations, 
yeah, I it still lived up to them. Um, even though I can I can kind of see some of the holes in it a little bit clearer on this recent rewatch. Yeah, I'm I'm really right there with what all of you said that like this movie was as we were doing the series. I was just excited for this because it's so different, and like I think that we in a culture of like people who have consumed Transformers movies. <laughs> Like, hold up, this one is, like, the best one. So there was an excitement I had for that. Like, oh, yeah, Bumblebee's good. I'm excited to get to that one that's different and good and and to enjoy it for its quality. Um, so, I, like, I was excited for it. And I don't know why. Maybe it's just because I was also excited to come watch a movie because I was on vacation for a week and I hadn't watched a movie in a while that I was, like, expecting it to be perfect. And so when those things in the the film, like, kind of the scripting and a little bit of the dialogue is clunky and there's, like, moments where it's like definitely just this like a locked off exposition shot and then it goes back to the action really quick um and some other things were like the cgi isn't perfect which is partially because of their ambition we're going to talk about in a second like where i was like oh wow this isn't like perfect and it was like kind of a weird feeling to be like i thought this movie was perfect and it's not um but as like i just enjoyed the movie and kind of like put that aside because even as like i recognize the mistakes that like a newer director and a newer writer. Um, I forget her name. What's her name? Uh, Christina Hodson, who wrote this. This was her third writing credit ever. So, like, obviously, these people are still ironing out their skills, so to speak. And so, like, that is definitely there and recognizable. But it's really easy to just, like, forget that when the movie's over because of, like, how relaxed you are about the movie and how much, like, enjoyment I get out of it. So, yeah, it, like it definitely lived up and, and even exceed my expectations and how fun it was. And also how funny it was like my wife and I were really laughing at it a lot. And like, and not in a way where like, Rob, you mentioned this with the past transfer movies. Like if my wife were watching me with those, I would almost feel like immature for laughing, like kind of embarrassed that I was laughing where this one, it was just like, yeah, this is fun. Like I'm laughing and I don't feel dumb that I'm laughing. <laughs> yeah. You don't have to apologize for it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There you go. Um, so yeah, it, it's just enjoyable, but also this time around, maybe it's just the weird expectation I had of like this like perfection that it had. It lacks a little bit of the polish that Michael Bay is able to have in some ways, and also there are some things that you can recognize. Uh, the the um, what's the word I'm searching for? Like the sophomore nature of it, if you will, uh, you can kind of recognize. But yeah, and I, I also just like I was impressed by just how good the story is. For like the the actual writing at like the, the sc- uh, screenwriting that's sometimes poor, uh, the story's quality. So yeah, live it up, and also in some ways didn't, um, which is just means it's a good movie overall. So, um, I am curious about this. What you all thought about the visual effects of this? Um, I'm sure that you guys were going to mention some of this in binge points, but I'll just I'm curious about it now and how it lived up. All of the Transformers being completely read redesigned in quotes if you will what do you guys think of that uh so that's one of my biggest compliments with this movie is i do think and again i'm one of the people that when the transformers weren't doing things i thought their looks were really good a lot of the times in those michael bay movies though when they were together it was really hard to know what was going on with them uh, but when they were individual, their designs were really, really good. Um, I didn't realize how well it would translate to the screen for the original designs to be brought back. I was really like, I shouldn't say shocked, but 
I remember seeing it for the first time, like when the movie opens on Cybertron and seeing the original designs for the Transformers and like, wow, okay. as much as I like some of the designs from the Michael Bay movies, like this is what they should have looked like. Yeah, I I really agree with what you said there. Like they look fantastic and it is impressive how good they look. Uh, particularly like that opening Cybertron thing. It's just like, yeah, like why didn't they look this way the whole time? They look awesome. They look great. Which if they've never interacted with Earthlings before, which I suppose they kind of have because every movie in the subsequent series kind of sets the timeline further back and further back and further back that there were Transformers on Earth, which I'm still confused when Cybertron, like when is the timeline of when they leave Cybertron and Optimus lands on Earth and when Cybertron gets obliterated? Because it seems like they (laughs) never seem to quite like from one movie to another, they can never agree on it. Cybertron isn't a place, it's a people. (laughs) <laughs> right <laughs> exactly yeah um but if so if they've never really had much contact with earth before why do they all look like human vehicles like on cybertron like why do they not just look like giant robots why do they look like trucks and planes and helicopters and stuff i don't know just like one of those things that i'm like i love the look of them because they do feel much more like the cartoons and the toys that i grew up with as a kid in the you know late eighties, you know, when, when in the mid to late eighties, when this was everywhere, um, they feel much more like that. And already like the nostalgia just kind of grabs you and goes, that feels more like transformers to me after all the crap that I just had to watch (laughs) with with some of the other ones, these feel like what I know. And there's, there's a comfort there and there's almost kind of a safety and a warmth there, I guess is how I would, would describe that. I feel like those designs, too, I feel like they lend themselves to better action scenes because even though these are giant metal robots, they feel a little less like grand than like some of the size and the scope. Like if you watch that first Transformers movies like we did, like Megatron compared to everybody else is gigantic and he's huge and it sometimes makes the action like unwatchable because they're just so many huge parts flying around where, where these designs make them feel a little bit to me, smaller in scale and tones down the action to where it's, and it's a lot of the directing style too, but these designs to me just lend themselves to look better in action sequences. I I agree. And the, the, the designs and also like the transformation, like I like the simplicity of the actual transformation. Yeah. Um, and I also think the fight scenes, there's almost seem like they're actually choreographed and that it's a character fighting like mm-hmm. Bumblebee fights with a personality and like a mm-hmm. nimbleness that the other Transformers don't. And I feel like it's the marriage of the design with that, like change to the fight that just makes it feel like so exciting, uh, for Transformers, um, the, in a, in a way that I really, really like that it, it, it all just works really well together. Like the triple changers, when they transform from their plane helicopter to like the car to them, them like right. it just looks awesome. Like, does that make sense in any way that they can change into three different forms? No, but it looks awesome in all three forms. And the transition between all of them looks great. And then when they're standing there as a transformer, like they look in a, they, they just look good. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. Like there's also, um, yeah, actually, I'll save that thought for later. But uh, 
you know, it's interesting you mentioned some of the fights. Bumblebee has what I would say a recognizable fighting style. You know, it's yeah. not a generic. And you see this like Dead or Alive is probably the worst example of this, where everybody has the same bland, generic Taekwondo based fighting style. Like for a movie that's based on a game that is very true to those unique disciplines of martial arts and the look of those being true to the actual thing. The movie choreography is terrible. Bumblebee looks like he fights, you know, there's, there's a purpose to it. He, it, it feels like everything he does is based on like a true martial discipline. It really does work well. And, and you kind of mentioned some of the transformations as gratuitous and as much as I love the gratuity of it in some of the earlier Transformers films, sometimes I think the action really slows down for Michael Bay to be like, hey, you guys, look at this cool transformation. I'm going to do it kind of slow so you can see every single piece of this 187 part Transformer turning from a robot into a car or from a car into a robot or whatever it is, like really showing off, you know, ILM's power when they did this, which, again, I love it. It it does like when you don't see that in this movie, it it makes you realize how gratuitous it is in the in the Michael Bay series yeah. of it because it just it just happens. It's not done for show. It's just effective. Yeah, well, well said. There's never like the moment where it's like, oh, here we go for our our visual effects Oscar nomination. Are you paying attention? <laughs> um, yeah, they're just solid Transformers. And the other thing that came to mind as we were talking that I really, really like is that the transforming is a, an added element of the character of Bumblebee. Like, I noticed this time, I don't know how or why I noticed this, but one of the times he transforms in the garage, he has to, like, transform and then he stands upright, like, really well postured. And once he reaches full stance, then he like, kind of, like, comes to life and starts reacting to Charlie and then he, like, crouches in a corner. And, and it really like lended to him losing his memory so to speak and having to like relearn the ability to transform really well because then by the end he's like doing quick transformations when a fight scene and and you know and just like the development of his transforming ability on top of just the look i thought was was like a, a good characterization a good way to to add to the character and to tell the character of bumblebee yeah i think that's really well stated because he definitely he has an arc um, in this movie. Yeah. Um, I, which I really like. Like, I don't think we've ever got that in a Transformers character before. Who's the most developed Transformer up to this point? Who do you feel like has the most range up to this point? Bumblebee. <laughs> yeah, I mean... it By default, maybe? From... I, I do feel like they did a halfway decent drop job in Transformers one and two, um, regardless of how bad I think two is. I do think their depiction of Optimus, especially his scene in the forest with Sam, um, I think is mm. a really good depiction of him. Uh, but then again, like they start to just again, by the time that friend that fifth movie came out, they just they don't care what they wrote before it. They're just what are we going to do this movie? And if it clashes, it clashes and and we don't care. Yeah. Probably yeah, the I, worst I like... represented character in this entire franchise is Megatron. Like, yeah, like he's, he's probably the worst character in the entire franchise. Yeah. Uh, 
I just love everything the way that they just treat Transformers. Like even that fight on Cybertron, it just felt like I'm watching Transformers in a way that feels like I should be watching Transformers. I really like. Now, one other thing about the visual effects I want to ask you guys about. I feel like they were really ambitious um, with the visual effects in this in a different way than they were with Michael Bay's movies. Um, Rob, I believe it was you. Well, I don't remember. I I'm just going to give you credit. I think it was you. (laughs) (laughs) I'll take the W. Yeah, that you said that in visual effects and uh, non-physical characters, so Bumblebee in this case, the more that you can have that digital character interact with the real world, the more that you believe that they're there. Uh, I think that was you. Sounds like something that you would say. Um, (laughs) That does kind of sound like something I'd say. And I feel like, which I think is something that Travis Knight as a director does well is making the characters feel real in their world and maybe that's experience he has with stop motion it doesn't always work visually but i i appreciate like the attempt of what they were going for um that i I felt like they were continually trying to have bumblebee interact with charlie and vice versa and like in the beginning when he like his memories fading and he transforms into the bumble to, to the bug or like right when he scans it he like falls in water and it splashes and he interacts with sand and he interacts with physical things a lot and like he rubs charlie's head or charlie gives him a hug or whatever like there's a lot of interactions and visually it doesn't always work but like i i appreciate the ambition what they were trying to do there but i'm curious if you guys noticed that at all or if you thought anything about it there's definitely a lot more physical interaction on screen between real life humans and the cg transformers prior to this most of the time that a human being and a and a transformer touch one another is usually human beings falling out of the sky and uh, yeah. a transformer has to scoop them and yeah. like sort of either just cup them in their hand and that somehow saves them from just being squashed by terminal velocity i don't know i mean i'm not a physicist but whatever um <laughs> or they like kind of just like put them inside the cab of themselves and they transform into the truck or car that they are yeah. and drive away. And that sort of saves them. Um, that's most of it. Um, you know, or, or Bumblebee's um, door is smacking into Sam um, to like encourage him to do something outside of that. There's really not a lot. Um, and in this movie, uh, Charlie and Bumblebee have some very affectionate moments. Like there's some real um, heart to some of this and you sort of, you you actually really believe the emotions you see on Bumblebee's, you know, digital robot face. Like you actually yeah. believe what you're what you're looking at um in a way that I don't think we've seen really up to this point from from the Transformers franchise. I agree. Yeah, I agree with that too. I think, you know, Bumblebee's very animated in this movie um because a lot of the times in those original transformers movies like when we went back and watched them even when like sam is talking to optimus for the most part or you know uh kay jager was talking if you watch those scenes they're actually a lot of back and forth shots where it's the the cameras on the human character they talk and then the camera goes to the autobot and they talk you don't really see them a lot in any kind of close-up shots talking to each other. They're always like, I mean, think about the the scene in the cemetery where Optimus and uh, Revenge of the Fallen asked Sam to, or sorry, Dark of the Moon, um, or is no, it is Revenge of the Fallen, where he asked him to talk to like the world leaders. 
they don't show them. Wait, do like, I have to think about something from Revenge yes. of the Fallen? Can I just not? <laughs> can I just not think about Revenge of the Fallen? Um, I know I am sorry, but <laughs> like they, you know, Sam doesn't really get into a long shot and talk with Optimus until like Sam's facing away from the camera, almost like it's at like that audio is added in post. So yeah, to have a lot of these shots be right there and see both characters on the screen at the same time while things are happening um is actually kind of rare when you really go back and uh and look at it even in age of extinction when stanley tucci's character uh comes in when the autobots are destroying the factory those are shots that are cut back and forth with their interaction yeah, yeah michael bain like his seventeen thousand editors that he have has uh yeah I, I think that's a great point that that I didn't realize as well. I was more focused on like the visual effects side of it. Like, is this seamless? You know, can I see the, uh, the fading, <laughs> so to speak? Can I see where they're placing Haley Seinfeld in over Bumblebee's head or whatever? Um, but those are really easy to be forgiving of. Cause it's not perfect. There's some scenes where you can really tell, uh, but it, 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 it's not in a way that like takes you out of it. It's just like, Oh, yeah, like they're really making these characters interact. And I understand that they can't, that this is a movie. But I'm totally believing the emotional interaction that this is displaying, if that makes sense. And I I think, Matt, you pointed out to me why. And I think it's just because we get, even if it's just in conversations and just the way they interact is just feels very natural and and connected and and friendly. Um, You know, that, that Bumblebee really cares about this Charlie character. They genuinely feel like friends. And that. They really sell it well. Um, so yeah, any any other thoughts about Live Up? Any? I will say that it's clear to me at this point that Bumblebee has a type. He <laughs> is he is into the quirky loner character who just doesn't fit in with the popular kids. It's pretty obvious he's got a type. Yeah, hey, it's a good type though. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I like that. I. Uh, yeah, I don't have anything to add to that. I don't know why I thought I did. <laughs> my brain was like, you have something to say. And then my mouth was like, no, I don't. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So no other thoughts about Live Up. Let's move on to the next segment, Binge Point. This is where we talk about Easter eggs, behind the scenes, trivia, other things that we just want to mention. Uh, and this movie has a lot of Easter eggs in a really, really fun way that I don't think I would have ever enjoyed or ever noticed uh, without watching all these movies in succession. Um, like one of them that I just thought was really fun, Sector 7, obviously the place where the Transformers goes. 
That is mentioned consistently with John Turturro's character. He is an agent from Sector 7. Um, but when the, one of the characters is, uh, he comes and gives John Cena like the report, and he's like, I, I thought you would want to see this right away, sir. He says, great job, Agent Simmons, which is a reference to John Turturro's character, which I just thought was fun. Like, and like, there's other things which, Matt, I think it was you that said the connection to Michael Bay's first movie is a weakness of this film, which I agree with. There, it, the connection, like the story connection, I'm not really a big fan of. But like the references, like, hey, here's a little thing that is totally unconsequential to the movie, but it's just like fun that if you get it, those I, I actually like. There's certain aspects of that that I think don't really work for me. And that is, so Sector 7, we know it exists because it was founded very, very early in the 1900s. Um, at the latest, you know, the, that I can really remember. And at no point when other Transformers show up, do they, you know, start looking, does anybody say anything about, oh yeah, those guys are just like NBE1 that we've had right. on ice. Like they, and they literally dispatch from the Hoover Dam. So it's not like they don't know about him. Like th they built the Hoover Dam around him. So. Oh, I didn't realize that. I didn't put that together. Yeah. There's like. There's certain parts of that that are just a little bit wonky and, you know, there's and that's really where the parts of this movie that I dislike the most. And I'll just kind of get into it, I guess, you know, are the parts of prequels that are always dangerous when things yeah. just don't seem to line up um, or they try to get too cute with showing how something happened later, like just as a real quick example, like so my my gold standard for a movie that that is trying to wink at you way too much is easily solo like the han solo prequel movie is by far a non-stop wink at the audience that's such an obvious wink that it just becomes like a full-on like do, you know like do you have a twitch like what are you doing like it's <laughs> winking at me so much like you almost think it has a twitch where it always had like every tiny little detail of his character they somehow have to have to come up with so like the fact that Bumblebee's character is B-127, all of the other, you know, the, the Autobots, the Decepticons, they all have their own names. He has a code name, B-127. He doesn't get his own name. And so the movie is trying to, like, give him a reason why he has the name Bumblebee. Oh, it's because, you know, Charlie gave him that name. Like, little stuff like that kind of falls apart for me a little bit. Um, you know, like, those kinds of things just sort of... I don't know, like that kind of stuff kind of bothers me. Um, the Sector 7 thing, like I said, just they're, they're literally coming out of it. And but I will say one of the things that I did like about Sector 7's involvement, the big tipping point for them getting, you know, the military to to agree to cooperate is, well, what if this what if they go to the Soviets and like I've just over the last like two years, I've just somehow been like listening to a lot of audiobooks and podcasts and reading, you know, stuff, Cold War era and, and CIA stuff like that. And, you know, like it, you can pretty much convince me of anything uh, that the CIA was involved in at this point from all of that reading. So, yeah, in 1987, I think when this movie is set, um, if you went to somebody and said, well, if we don't help them, maybe they'll go to the Soviets. Yeah, like that's pretty much just like a blank check to do whatever you want at that point. And, and that's totally 100% believable. So I, I like that detail a lot. Yeah, well, Rob, I have to say for the first time in these now seven Transformer movies that we've done, you are living up to the ability to ruin. <laughs> <laughs> because I was going to say, like, it, those things, like particularly the Sector 7, which I think is the biggest thing. Um, 
as I'm watching the movie and when I think about it as like, this isn't connected to Michael Bay's film. Like, this is just a separate thing. Like, a reboot, if you will. As I, If I'm watching it as a reboot, those references are fun to me because it's like, oh, hey, remember this thing that we did that we're not doing anymore? Like, here's a reference that's kind of fun for you as a fan. You know, thanks for being a fan type of thing. That's what it feels like. But then when you think about it being connected, it retroactively is ruined, which you're doing now, by not, not making sense, which is like they, they try to have their cake and eat it too. I, there was going to be a scene where they were going to mention MBE1 and then Travis Knight, the director, decided to cut it because he wanted this movie to be standalone. But then they try to do things, r- reference things enough where it's like mo- not just a reference, it's like a continuity thing. And it's like y- you can't do both. Well, that's what happened is, you know, when this movie first got announced, it was announced as this was a reboot of the franchise. This was starting over, was going to tell the story of Bumblebee, and then we were going to move on. And then, for whatever reason, um, they were still on the, the train that Transformers would continue, and they also announced that Transformers 6 was going to happen and was going to be a sequel to the last night. And, you know, when you guys say like clunky dialogue to me, all of the parts that are put into this movie that reference where, you know, what we see later, because again, like they do actually in the scope of being part of the Michael Bay universe, there are a lot of things that make sense. You know, they talk about in the first Transformers movies when they first meet Megatron and he's still on ice. You're looking at the dawn of the modern age, cell phones, you know, everything that they mention, all because of him, NBE1. Like, there's a lot of things that make sense in Sector 7, and you would totally believe that if this was real, the government would create an agency to monitor this and, and do all of this stuff. But that's where this movie just like slows down. And it's like, that's my, that's like the one issue that I have with this movie is I don't like the fact that it was supposed to be a reboot. And then for whatever reason, they decided like, we have to put stuff in here because Bumblebee's voice box, that is like, they put that in here for what reason? Only to let you know that this is why he doesn't talk in the Michael Bay movies, because what was the reason for the Decepticon to do that? Seriously. Instead of just killing him. Yeah. yeah. It's like a weird, it's like a weirdly specific way to attack somebody. It's like, I'm going to throat punch you. Right. Like there's no reason for that part to happen. Um, and I guess I just, I, I want to get this out of the way because this, this really stood out to me watching it this time. Um, John Cena should not play these types of characters. At all. Um, (laughs) He is not a serious actor. Um, If you've watched Fast 9, you know that he's not good at being serious. He almost is so like he's so serious that I can't help but laugh at him. And he's not supposed to be funny in this. And if you've watched John Cena in other movies where he plays a comedic character, he's fantastic. He's great as Peacemaker. He was great in the movie Trainwreck with Amy Schumer. Like, he is a funny guy who should be playing those roles in Hollywood. He is not 
a dramatic actor and it was it stood out like a sore thumb to me watching the movie this time that he should not be playing these type of roles like i did not like him at all in this movie I, I agree with you. I that was I was going to mention that and live up, and I totally forgot. So I'm glad you reminded me. When I first saw this movie, one of the highlights was John Cena, and I can't tell you why. I think it was just as like, hey, John Cena's in a movie, like, and it was like the excitement that John Cena was in a movie, which I know he, I don't think this was his first film. I don't know, but like, there was something about it that was just fun, like that it's John Cena, and I think that that's what made me remember it positively, um, because he it's just like nothing about his character really worked, and I. Yeah. Like I would have rather seen him as Cade Yeager than in this role. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That that makes Cause, sense. Because he 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 needs to do action, but he needs to do action in a way almost you know, almost kind of like the Uncharted series, where Nathan Drake is constantly just in peril and trouble and and just laughing his way through all these ridiculous situations. Like that feels like what he needs to do most. There's too many times where the stakes are too high and it's inappropriate to be funny at those times. And it, those are the parts where I, I largely enjoyed John Cena in this movie. Um, but there are times to, to Matt's point where when it gets a little too serious, it, it just doesn't, something just doesn't feel right. Something feels off. Yeah. Off is the best way to put it. It almost feels like he doesn't, like he knows he's not that serious. Like he's a goofy guy and he mm-hmm. like it almost like it comes through in his acting that like he it comes through that he's acting. It doesn't feel natural. Yes. Like, like the salute at the end. Yes. Yeah. When he's funny, he just seems like he's being John C- like he's being John Cena when he's serious. It feels, and again, like if you've seen Fast Nine, it feels like he's trying to act like a serious person, and it just comes off so fake. Yeah, it's almost like the serious moments you're waiting for the punchline that never materializes. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, well, other binge point I have, and then it, the floor is yours for binge points because I don't have too many, um, except for maybe a few behind the scenes things. Um, the touch, the song that Bumblebee plays when she goes to do the cliff jump, that moment would meant nothing to me. And this time, it, like I cheered, I was like, okay, that was awesome. <laughs> uh, that, that really worked. Um, so also I think that the character of, uh, what's his bucket, uh, memo is hilarious. I think he's like, I don't know. Someone point me in the direction where we get more characters like that. I feel like both the character of Charlie and the character of Memo are both so refreshing in the stereotypes we frequently get, especially in their interaction together. Everything about the two of them I just love. And maybe I'm just going easy on him because I swooned for Haley Steinfeld. I don't know. I, I just loved Memo. Everything he said, like, he's like, when she's getting him about the hairnet, like, where's your hairnet? He's like, in the trash, Einstein. You throw it away after each use. Like, <laughs> I just thought that was hilarious. And I, I just, I like the character of Memo and I really like the newness. Um, that those characters bring. The other thing that I'll say, uh, whoever came up with the names for these characters, Charlie, Memo, Otis, I'm just, I'm into it. Like, I like these names. Yeah, the touch was kind of fun. I noticed it right away and I definitely never noticed it in prior watches of this, but just because we had seen the 1986 
animated film recently, like it jumped right. I was like, oh, my God, they, that's that's where that's from. That's a great pinch point. You beat me to it. Can I say, too, this is not a I, this is probably not a binge point. Maybe it's for the next segment, but I'm just going to say it. It was really refreshing to have a main character in this movie not be overly sexualized to just be a female. Yes. And even the way that like she when she was kind of like a loner, it and the, there was the bully teenagers. It wasn't mm-hmm. because like she had a crush on the guy that she was dating. Like when she spilled the drink over the guy, it wasn't like, oh, I spilled the drink on this guy that I have a huge crush on. And he's dating. it's like, oh, I just spilled the drink on this popular guy who's kind of like the school hottie. Like that's embarrassing no matter who your attraction is towards. And I like that that was never really forcefully a part of her character that like her attraction to whomever in any way. It was just like, she's just an individual and it was awesome. You know, you guys said it refreshing. Um, when, when the character, the human characters buck the tropes that we see over and over and over again, um, it just works and it makes you like those characters so much more. You think about the character of the stepdad. He's not like any other stepfather character <laughs> we've seen, you know, and that's great. Like we've seen a stepfather character. You, you can almost picture like the tropes as I'm saying this, you know, if you're, if you're in your car right now or doing dishes or walking the dog or whatever you're doing, you're picturing a million stepdad tropes in every movie or TV show you've seen, you know, you've seen where, two characters of opposite genders are kind of thrust into a situation. And by the end of it, they're together and they have this big romantic kiss and we never get that. She kisses him on the cheek and then tells him not to hold her hand at the end of it. Like I loved that this movie did that. They didn't give us the, the stereotypical garbage that I hate with a passion. Yeah. I, that's one thing that I love about Travis Knight. He's only again, He's only directed two movies that are released, but I, I really like that he's into giving us things in ways that we don't expect him. Uh, and not like, oh, gotcha type of way, but just like, hey, these are things we've seen forever and like, there's a better way to doing this. Like, I also can't tell if this is like a newer, like not doing a trope or just something that I like, where she doesn't jump off the clip, cliff for like the popularity that she walks away. There's something about that moment in the theater that like, I cheered in the theater. Like it just was like a victory for human life in some way. Like it really just meant something. And even coming around again, it's just like, yeah, like that's what like there's, there's a weird letdown. It's like, Oh, she didn't do it when she totally could, but she didn't. And like, you know, like I, you almost see it happening where like she does do it. And then she leaves behind memo and then goes with the other guy and like tries to get into the popular cloud and then realize that she actually doesn't want to be there and then goes back with memo and bumblebee. Like all of that is just completely negated by her making a very real moment where that like emotional vulnerability of her dad dying is being triggered. And she's like, no, I'm, I'm out of here. Like I just, I just really everything about the character of memo and Charlie more of please. So, um, any other bench points from either of you? Uh, I will just say that, you know, as far as, just we talked about you know little things uh this still like this was successful just because the budget wasn't as high as these other transformers movies but um you know with how terrible the last night performed uh this is the lowest grossing movie out of the entire franchise but the best reviewed by critics and by fans so um i was 
I was really nervous though that we wouldn't get a sequel to this just because of the fact that, you know, it only did like 465 million worldwide and, you know, I say only 465 million, but it, when your other movies make a billion dollars, that's a lot of money left on the table. So, I, I was nervous that we would not regardless of the general critic and fan reviews that this would never get a sequel. Yeah, but before I comment on what you had to say, any whoever is out there in the universe keeping tally of all the moments where Matt proves himself as a robot, um, an android, <laughs> the gross for this movie was 467 worldwide, 467 million. And Rob or Matt was just like, about 465 million, like two off. Are you kidding me? It's ridiculous. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so in response my, to what you actually did. My memory works for nothing else, so. I, <laughs> uh, Matt's yeah. the guy that when you show up to Xavier School for Gifted Youngsters and you meet like Colossus and Nightcrawler and then you meet Matt and you go, what's your mutant power? He's just like, I just know movies. <laughs> <laughs> That's my power. I don't ever go into combat. I just hang out here at the school. I could tell you yeah. box office results. Like <laughs> <laughs> That doesn't help us against Magneto, but I can tell you. <laughs> Uh, it certainly yeah. won't hurt you against him, though. I can tell you that much. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you not to watch X-Men Origins Wolverine. <laughs> Lamest mutant power ever. Oh. <laughs> But I've always wondered that, like on a sidebar, like why is every mutant power something that's combat worthy? Like, why isn't there somebody whose mutant power is they just make a really mean sandwich? (laughs) (laughs) Well, like Like something horrible, like you get like frog fingers or something like. Yeah, (laughs) everybody's mutant power is something that you can use in combat. Like I can control the weather or I have metal claws. I can control magnetism or. You know, I can teleport. I can shoot lasers. Like I, nobody's mutant power is like they can just out of my wrist. Yeah, like, <laughs> nobody's mutant powers. They can just walk up to a wall and just know where the stud is to hang a picture. Like that's nobody's <laughs> mutant power. Well, this is the same universe where a spider bite doesn't kill you; it makes you a spider. So, <laughs> right. But, wow, that was hilarious. <laughs> to, to try and get back something of what we were talking about, uh, this movie is is sitting surprisingly at a ninety-one percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Like. I think the the highest other Transformers movies is like in the 30s, and maybe that's generous. I think like high 20s. So it's not just like, oh, yeah, they were at like 75 or whatever. Like 91 from the, like the last, what did last night get like 7% or something? Like I think it got single digits. Uh, clearly, this was refreshing to everybody, which I, the, the, here's the thing I like about it as well is that like a lot of the things that we're praising this film for isn't like oh this is a good transformers movie it's just like this is just a good movie like these are just things we would praise about a movie i think that's what we said in the the review that we did you know two years ago was this is just a good movie because again at its to me at its core this is not it's not a transformers movie at its core it's a you know it is a like i said a coming of age story about two different people getting to where they need to be in their life together um, disguises Transformers movie. And I think that's why it works so well. Yeah. Well said. 
The last bench point that I have is that the writer for this movie that I mentioned, this was only her third film, Christina Hodson. I was just checking out her IMDb. She was the writer for Batgirl, a movie that we actually talk about frequently, the three of us, before we start recording, that Matt informed us they, like, erased from the universe. Warner Brothers was like, we want this nowhere, which, oh, I like, just bringing that up a second time, that is just destructive to any creative person out there, especially the amount people and time this invested in movies anyway I they, bring pulled that up. A, they pulled a thanos snap on that movie like <laughs> yeah uh, like imagine not caring about 90 million dollars like seriously like that's insane to me i get mad if i drop a grape and lose a grape <laughs> underneath the couch 90 million dollars are just like whatever great <laughs> It makes you think of that scene in uh, The Dark Knight where Joker's just burning that whole pile of money and just be like, that's that's going to be the new meme is like DC. I'm surprised it's not already. Yeah, DC prop like movie properties up at like eh, whatever. It's not about the money. It's about sending a message, as he says. Some studios just want to watch their movies burn. <laughs> And again, not to get off on the on a totally different movie, but if it's it's not about the money, it's about the message. Well, the message that you're sending with canceling Batgirl is not one that I think that company wants. So, oh, no, no, not at all. Which actually kind of gets me back to what I was saying, which the two of you keep distracting me from. (laughs) (laughs) Christina Hawson, she was the writer for Batgirl, which we were just praising uh, Bumblebee for writing characters in a new way, writing character tropes in a new way, and also writing just a good film, right? The the dialogue was a little clunky, but story-wise, it was solid. Character-wise, it was solid. Emotion-wise, solid. And and to get a character that is Batgirl, you know, a big female-led superhero, like, you know, this is is a social move as much as it is is a movie move. And, like, it makes me sad that we're going to miss out what, I imagine Christina Hodson did a good job with. If she did such a good job with Charlie and Bumblebee, I'm sad I don't get to see what she did with Batgirl, uh, if you know what I'm saying, which is just a bummer altogether. Um, But besides that sad detail, I don't have any other binge points unless any of you do. I think uh, I'm good. Okay. Let's move on to the next segment, Least and Likes, talking about our least favorite scene and our favorite scene. So, Rob, what is your uh, least favorite scene? Least favorite scene for me, um, it's when she wakes up the morning of her birthday and they give her her birthday gifts, which consists of a helmet that does not fit her style in any meaningful way and a book to tell her to smile more. Um, The whole scene is just cringy as hell and... It it really just doesn't work. You know, Haley Seinfeld does a great job of trying to hold that scene together and, and make it effective. But I I know that people out there exist like this, I, I guess. But it, it seems odd to me that her own mother just has no clue, like is just absolutely clueless on her, her where she is in life, um, that that was kind of her. Like the, the scene just it. It doesn't even really need to exist. Like, I feel like they could have just written that thing right out, left it on the cutting room floor, and I don't think we miss anything in this movie. It's just, I don't know. Yeah. There's there's nothing fun about it. There's nothing that moves the story along. Uh, I'm right there with you. That is my least favorite scene as well. Uh, in the theater, watching it the first time, it was one of those scenes where I, like, laughed at, and I was like, haha, this is funny. The second time around, I was just like, this is cringy. Like, I'm 
this just makes no sense. Like, her parents are not that horrible. This is so contradictory. Like, obviously, her parents are super interested in her the same way they might be Otis, you know. Every child of any parent understands that to some extent. But, like, this is just makes, makes no sense uh, for the parents that you're, you're crafting. This is just a weird scene. And like you said, Haley Seinfeld is doing her best with it, but it's just, it's just cringy. And, like, it makes sense that the mom would get a helmet because she's a nurse. Like, I can kind of understand that, but, like, that helmet? I don't know. It, it, yeah, cringy is the best way to describe it. So, Matt, do you have a different least favorite scene? No, I think in a movie that does a lot of things right, it's very easy to think. It's like it's very easy to pick out the things that do not work. Um, and that's definitely the main one for me. Yeah. The only other one that I can mention is that at the very end, you know, it makes me sad that she's leaving Bumblebee. You know, for all we know, he could come back, right? Sequels do that. But, like, that makes me sad every time because I really like Charlie as a character. And I also just, I just really have a personal love for Haley Seinfeld, which we will not elaborate on. But it really bothers me that he transforms into the Michael Bay Bumblebee that we see at the beginning of Transformers 1. Like, that's just totally unnecessary that connects it in a way that I really don't like. It's like a really kind of forceful connection that, like, I just don't like that. I just didn't need that. And anyway. Yeah, because like, what happens after that? Like, where does he go? Like, like, what adventures, what battles do they have that somehow, again, nobody talks about? Somehow the whole public is kept from these massive battles where these alien robots are beating the crap out of each other. Which, speaking of which, Rob, you remind me of a binge point that I forgot to say. At one point, John Cena is mentioning, like, what happens that I see an attack on Washington? And he's like, an attack on, or an advance on Chicago. Chicago. Yep. Yeah, forgot to mention that. Uh, which I also never noticed before binging it. So again, credit to binging. That's why they're called binge points, people. I'm so good with the names. <laughs> <laughs> I I will say too that I I found it kind of weird that they really just make it that small little spot where you can see Optimus driving on the Golden Gate Bridge, and then he's just like like the credit scene is just him there with Bumblebee in the woods. I. I thought they would have at least done something to make it a little more apparent that Optimus was on Earth. Because if you're not paying attention to me, it was like kind of jarring the first time I saw the movie that all of a sudden Optimus is just there. Yeah. And especially I think the part of the giantness is how quickly they cut to the end credit scene. It's like directed by Travis Knight and maybe one other thing and then end credit scene. It's like we're impatient or something. We need it after two slides of credit. And I guess just honorable mention, not necessarily least favorite scene, but a component that I, I really dislike the the part where the popular girl asks her to, you know, asks Charlie, well, why don't you have your dad buy you a better car? Um, it's it's unnecessarily terrible and unrealistically mean spirited and feels a little out of place in a movie that's this kind of just fun. Like, yeah. I. I think they could have left that out and they could have done something completely different. Like that, that line kind of crosses a line. I think that, I don't know, it pulls you out of the movie and it makes you hate that character. Like you don't need to like, that's, that's a, that's a throwaway character. She's got like very limited screen time. We know everything about her just from what we see of her. It, it doesn't, it just, I don't know. It, it, I think it causes emotion in an audience that doesn't fit in with the movie that they're trying to tell. I also just think that humans don't. I don't. I don't. I think there's very I don't think select people are that few mean people to each on other. earth. 
Yeah, I, I don't think people have the audacity to speak that way to someone. I don't, I mean, there's select people out there, don't get me wrong, but like yeah. in person, to their face, I don't think very many people would say something like that. Yeah, uh, it just came across like most people are just not that terrible to one another. Yeah. Like, Luckily. On the internet, yeah, but face to face, that's that's just a line that everybody knows you don't cross. Like it's universally understood. You just don't go there. Yeah. Um, agreed. So, favorite scene, Rob. We started with you. We'll have you go first. What's your favorite scene? Favorite scene is uh, one of the final fights, specifically Bumblebee's fight with Dropkick. Um, I love how there's parts where both of the combatants end up. You know, they. Th- as part of the fight and their recovery from a blow, they transform into one of their other forms and use that to kind of recover from their, their damage. I, I just thought that was really creative and, and good use of their transforming back and forth. Harrison, I think you had mentioned that earlier. Um, I just, I think there's really good fight choreography. I think you can notice, like I mentioned earlier, Bumblebee has a real noticeable style to his fighting and it's, and it feels consistent throughout um, and I love that the chain gets wrapped around Dropkick as he is in the process of transforming. I thought that was kind of a cool yeah. idea to use that. And it makes sense because like Bumblebee is getting his ass kicked, you know, and how does he how does he actually overcome? Well, he has to be smarter, you know, because that's one of the things that's always been funny is the Decepticons are always like tanks and fighter jets <laughs> and like mean looking military stuff and giant construction equipment and the autobots are all like ice cream trucks and <laughs> cream you know truck. like sports cars and you know ambulances like freightliner trucks and and the decepticons all have like 85 guns all the way down them you know like so how does how does Bumblebee win the day here? And I thought that was really clever. And I thought it was, um, I, I liked the visual effects for that too. It, it made sense and it, and it told a good story. Yeah. Well, that's a good favorite scene. Um, I will go next. My favorite scene. It's hard to pick one. There's a lot that I can mention. I, I mentioned pretty much anytime memo and Charlie interact. I love it. I'm totally there for it. Uh, I think my favorite scene though, is just when Charlie is getting to know Bumblebee as a person. Uh, as a person, as an individual, um, and uh, what is a person? Okay, anyway, <laughs> and uh, th- th- just like that friendship that starts, it you to have the the emotional moments later where Bumblebee and Charlie are both motivated by their friendship for each other. You got to build that friendship, and I think that they do that well. Uh, I think my favorite, they do it throughout the film, but my favorite moment of that is when she's playing music for him. And she puts the tapes in, and he like shoots it out at lightning speed. I think it's hilarious, uh, but I think like humor aside, just that just their entire friendship building is is one of my favorite parts of the film. She even tries to rickroll him, and he's not having it. <laughs> yeah, that and uh, Lego Batman, I think, are some of the the best uh, rickrolls. So, <laughs> uh, Matt, what was your favorite? Yeah, um, you know, it'd be easy to I think to you know maybe pick the the fights and stuff like that but for me i'm just gonna combine two scenes because i like the the overall arc of it um i really do like the two scenes where one she's fixing bumblebee you actually get like that montage of her working on bumblebee to get him running and then the ending where she's actually going to fix the car that her and her dad were working on um because again like this movie is about 
coming full circle. So I just, I really like that. I really like that we end on that message um, and taking something that was really tragic to her and turning it into something that's actually positive. Um, I, I just really enjoy that, that that's where this movie ended with her. I, I like that. I'm going to, you uh, gave me some more, uh, what's what I'm searching for or uh, ammo, I guess you could call it for uh, what I'm going to say in fall in. So, that's a fantastic favorite scene to point out. Um, okay, on to the second to last segment, Transformers translation. Unique to these series, what about Transformers does, does not translate well to live action to this entry. I think we all can agree one of the things that translates the best is the G1 design and the characterization of their fights and their transformation. Everything about it, fantastic. Well, even Cybertron... I thought was in the short moment that we got it. I do think it was better represented in terms of looks than what we got in the, the other transformers movies. Yeah. Agreed. I would say both like visually and sonically, audioly, however you say that. Yeah. Everything about Cybertron and the transformers is look is so much better. Um, yeah. Any, any other thoughts about anything that does or does not translate well? I don't really have anything that immediately comes to mind. No, I th- I think, you know, for this one, again, it's I feel like the second movie, the sequel will maybe, you know, <laughs> if we ever review that one, that would maybe be a little bit more because it seems like it would probably focus more on the Transformers where, again, like this movie, it focuses on Bumblebee, but it's more of like the human element. So it's it's really not about the Transformers in this movie. Yeah, which I maybe this is a translation, maybe it's not. For a movie titled Bumblebee, they'd have be, did a fantastic job about telling a story about Bumblebee and not trying to like bring in everything about Transformers ever. You know, it it was narrow in the right way. And by narrowing that focus, it it is so much more effective because it can tell the story of just a few characters as opposed to trying to tell the the complete story of this war. And that's really what the first live action films felt like is the story of the war and some of these human characters mixed into. Um, but this was the story of two people, two sentient beings becoming friends. Yeah. Two sentient beings <laughs> trying a way to get around this description of them. Yeah. Well said. So on that note, the idea of two sentient beings coming friends, let's move into the last segment fall in. This is where we talk about the messages, meanings, as my dad said, the moral of the story of the film, which I think this one actually has, it uh, what's the word I'm searching for as a through line throughout the film it is really solid well developed and consistent throughout the film it's not like the Michael Bay films where we kind of had to extrapolate it out for the sake of shoving up my film professor's nose uh, this one actually I think is 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 uh, it earns it I guess you could say and and the, the one that I'll say is to quote the the single that Haley Seinfeld did for the credits of coming back to life and the idea of friendship helping you do that, both for the character of Bumblebee and Haley Seinfeld uh, or Charlie's character, um, both coming back to life through loss in their life and just like the challenge of that. And this is going to sound cheesy, but the power of friendship <laughs> and and what that does. Um, so I'm a teacher for high school. I'm a student teacher for people who don't know. It's very new. Today was actually my second day believe it or not, which was a lot of fun. Anyway, one of the things that I told my students, because everybody's been in high school that's listening to this, I imagine, unless you're in junior high. I guess Rob's daughter, 
She's not in high school yet. But everybody's oh, yeah. been in school. They have seating charts. Everybody hates seating charts. Well, I'm one of those teachers that has a seating chart, but it's just, I did it for a reason, and it's I'm going to change it consistently for the sake of helping people meet new people. Uh, and because if you don't have a seating chart, you only sit next to people you know. If you don't know anybody, you sit next to people you don't know, and you're alone forever. And I really want them to be able to find and make new friends that they might not otherwise in, in traditional circumstances because I think friendship is such like a genuinely powerful thing in life that like if I have an opportunity to promote increase in friendship, I'm going to do it because uh, I really believe it is impactful. And it, and it really like when Charlie says the line, ever since my dad died, I feel like I've just been a drain on people around me and I hate it. Like we don't we don't like that. We don't like being the drain on people and like a good friend is the someone is someone who can help you get out of that, which is just awesome. I think some of the most compelling, you know, fallen worthy kinds of things are are really around that that loss of her father and and the impact that it has on her. It's certainly impacting her differently than it did than it is, say, Otis, you know, who maybe was really too young to have had the relationship with his dad that the Charlie did. Um, we can see that the mom has and no judgment, by the way, that she's moved on. You know, she's she's chosen to find happiness. We, I don't think we're really given a lot of information that that Charlie feels like she should have grieved longer before moving on and, and trying to start a new relationship and just find her own happiness. Like we don't get that in this movie, I don't think. But, you know, the one thing that I really clued in on was kind of her fixation on the Corvette as a coping mechanism for her father's grief. You know, that was, that was something that they worked on together. And she has that one moment. She just completely breaks down that she can't get it running. And if she could only get it running, then she could feel like he was looking down on her and, and was proud of her, you know, like that there was, I'm butchering kind of the, what she said, but it's, it's that general idea. And I just thought that was like a, a really powerful comment. Um, on how people do grieve those they've lost and and loved and, and just the way that people will throw themselves into things. Because as we know, what is grief, if not love persevering? Yeah. Fantastic quote. I heard that somewhere. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I'll just, I'll, I'll say a couple things. Um, yeah. I mean, Rob, I think your point's very well made. I, I do think there's a little hint that, Charlie kind of feels like at some points her mom just kind of moved on um, and wasn't really grieving her dad or didn't do it for what Charlie might feel was the appropriate amount of time, um, which I think everybody could think that based on certain situations, you know, just because you're thinking about one thing one way, another person isn't necessarily thinking about that or doesn't mean that like she's not missing her father um also too i just think there's a really great message about you know again it's it's a movie but think about the fact of this person you know befriending an alien robot i think there's a deeper message there and you never know what one person's going through or you know what you guys have in common i've said this a bunch of times but as much as a lot of things today, like every time you read the news or see anything, it's like you really just got to tune yourself out to it because everything wants to tell you how far apart everybody is and 
these people over here think this way and these people over here and everybody and everything sucks. Um, I, I think there's a really good message there that, you know, we're more alike and have more things in common than we realize a lot of the time. So I think this movie does a really good message of two people coming together that maybe you think shouldn't. And it doesn't have to be a relationship or it's just a friendship. Yeah. I, I think that's really well said, Matt. I, uh, there, Charlie has a line where she says something like people like react negatively to things they don't understand. Something like that. Mm -hmm. uh to to be which is like holy smokes what an accurate statement um but like think about how this movie would be different mm -hmm. that that horrible bully friend who says a horrible thing to charlie what if she found bumblebee this would be a different movie uh and and i think that that's part of the character of charlie there's this idea um it's called the uh, latitudes of acceptance i don't know if i've talked to you guys about it before i think i have it's it's something that one of my professors taught me that's just been on my mind a lot that it is so I'm a marketing student and it's a tactic that's used in marketing a lot, both for good and bad. So the idea, just to explain it super briefly, is that everybody has a latitude of their acceptance. So things we accept exist within this latitude. And so if there's an idea and and you want someone to come closer to your idea that's within your latitude, but not within theirs. Any idea. It can be anything as of like as simple as oranges are tasty, or it could be like a really complex idea, whatever. It if in order to get them closer to your idea, you have to find an area where your latitudes intersect. If you do not first successfully find an area of intersection where your acceptance intersects, you will only drive yourself further apart. So if you first present the idea that is outside of their acceptance without finding an area that's within both of yours, you will only drive be driven further apart. So it's used in, in messaging and marketing in tons of ways to both drive people together, but also intentionally drive people apart. And we talked about in my marketing class how like politicians are experts at driving us apart because they want us to vote for them and not for the other person, which I'm getting like totally off topic here. But the thing that was well, you were saying this, Matt, that immediately came to mind is that like Charlie immediately saw something in Bumblebee similar to herself. It's not that they were the exact same. Like their latitudes of acceptance weren't totally even, so to speak. Their life circumstances weren't the exact same, but there was enough relation there there was enough understanding and, and empathy and and sameness there that allowed her to then go to the further areas of acceptance that she initially didn't have because she first that scene where like bumblebee gets really scared and she puts the wrench away like she recognized uh, like a fear that she probably s sees in herself which is like so crucial to I, I don't know i just i'm just passionate about that whole idea so i'm probably rambling but I think it's a good point in in selling that idea of acceptance is that you you have to start with with that shared ground. Yeah, I I liked it a lot and you know with with that being said, Rob, I feel it's time for you to get on my latitude and admit the last Jedi is good. <laughs> I saw this coming from a mile away. <laughs> well, we I mean, we all share the latitude of Transformers and then Dark of the Moon. We all gave those the same real rating. So, Rob, you just got to get a little bit closer because Matt and I are over here pulling on the latitude as hard as you can. The, the <laughs> weather over here is just fine, buddy. <laughs> I think our latitudes on the Mandalorian are in the same place. Right. Um, but, um, yeah, The Last Jedi, that's, gonna, that's just going to be one of those um, opposite hemispheres. 
opposite atmospheres. It would uh, it would take a lobotomy, and Rob might still have enough brain power to stick to his guns. <laughs> yeah, listen. If I ever do say that I enjoyed the Last Jedi, I need you, Matt. I need you to call my wife immediately and tell her not to let me back home because I have been body snatched by aliens. <laughs> Either that, or you'll you'll be in the first padded room I can sign you up in, just so we can get you checked out. <laughs> Get him some help. Right. I mean, like he hit his head. He's got a concussion. Something's going on here. We got to, I got to help my friend. Yeah. The last Jedi. The only way that we'll ever convince Rob of that is if inception becomes real. Other than that, I don't think we ever stand a chance. That's a, that's a good movie. We should do that. Yeah. Yeah, we should. <laughs> um, okay. So, uh, speaking of things that we share in common, as we shared our real rating for Transformers and uh, was it Revenge of the Fallen? Was that what it was? Yeah. Oh no, Dark of the Moon. Excuse me. Let's reveal the rotten now and see who's rotten again. Matt and I both thought it was going to be me. Rob thinks it's going to be himself. So Matt, since no one voted for you, we'll have you go first, and then Rob, and then myself. What is your rating out of five? Wait, who'd you ask? I'm oh, sorry. So Matt first, then okay. Rob, then me. All right, so uh, my original rating for this, um, which I had on my letterbox, um, has not changed. Uh, I gave this a four and a half way back when, and I still stick with a four and a half. Okay. Wow, uh, that's higher than I thought it was. Um, I, I gave this four and a quarter reels. Um I think there's a lot of fun here. There's a lot of things that work. Some of the, some of the prequelness that I dislike when it's really hard to tell. And I'm just going to go ahead and just give this movie some credit. I'm going to let this movie off the hook a little bit. It is really hard to go backwards in time chronologically while still making sure that you tell a compelling story um sidebar that's why i'm really glad the new game of thrones prequel that we just got the first episode of on sunday you know as as we record this um i'm glad they went so far back in time that none of the characters can cross over and and most of the ideas will just they can live on their own they don't have to tie into anything they don't have to you know fit into a greater continuity um and those are a lot of my problems with like captain marvel and things like that just some things just don't make sense when you actually think about what would happen moving forward so the problems that i have with this i acknowledge it's hard to do a compelling prequel that makes sense in continuity and still tells a really interesting story and gives the filmmaker the opportunity to do what they want to do with it. But those things kind of just don't fit. And, and there is some of that dialogue clunkiness, um, some other minor small complaints here and there. Uh, you know, there's moments like we said with John Cena that aren't perfect, you know, where his character feels a little bit kind of all over the place, almost written by two different people. Um, so that's why, uh, I'm actually surprised Matt liked it more than I did. Um, cause I, I thought he was going the other way. I thought his, his ranking was going to be a four, but this is a four and a quarter for me. I was muted. Sorry. Thank you, <laughs> Rob. You were correct that your uh, rating was. Uh, a quarter real way so you got that right uh even if you thought in the wrong direction the other thing that you got right is that you are the rotten because i also give this four and a half i was at the start of this episode i was going to give it four uh 
which would be even with the rating I gave Transformers. That's what I have it out on Letterboxd. And I was okay with that. Like, yeah, this is a four. Like, I enjoy this kind of equal to my enjoyment of the first Transformer movies, although, like, completely differently. But through the course of the conversation, I just realized, you know what? There are things that don't work about it. But I like the things that work about this so much that I, I'm, that I, just for the sake of being higher than Transformers, I'm putting this at four and a half. Just because I love the character of Charlie and Memo so much that like I didn't I I didn't realize how much I liked them. And I, I think Haley Seinfeld is just really winning me over because she just has a tendency to do that. But I just really like those characters. I like the character B. I like the the message in it. It's powerful. And uh it's also just a good action movie. Like it's it's just it's uh really again, I'm using the word pleasant. So that it had to be you the two of you convinced me throughout the episode that it needed to be higher than Transformers. So, Rob, at four and a quarter, you are the rotten. The uh, the highest rated Transformers movie of uh, the Basin Binge, Bumblebee. I think I don't think any of us are shocked. Um, so yeah. they're going to do additional Transformers movies. How disappointed will you be? And it might be kind of tough. I mean. Haley Steinfeld, I don't know how old she is right now. Obviously, in this film, she's supposed to be 18. It takes place in 1987. Sometimes you have to fast forward, you know, 35 years or so. How disappointed will you be if we never see anything, if we don't get her character back in a future Transformers film? I, I would, if they do it in the right way, I would enjoy it. But I feel like something will be missing if we never see anything with her again. I would be pretty disappointed. I would love to see her again. I. I love Haley Seinfeld. By the way, she is 25 now. Her and I are the same age. Just in case the universe needs to know that. (laughs) Uh, Obviously, I have a healthy relationship with Haley Seinfeld in my mind. Um, Yeah, anyway, I I would love to see her again. I also just think that she's great as an actress, but also the character of Charlie. I just, I want more of charlie and memo i just like that even if they're not like a couple like if they're just friends i want more of them again because they're fun uh you know like it's it's like when you go hang out with friends you're like oh i want to hang out with them again type of thing uh i just hope that they come back in some capacity who would you rather see more in future in future transformers you know uh, entries would you rather see sam come back or charlie come back which one do you think you'd rather see uh i think charlie for two reasons one i think that that Shia LaBeouf has like moved on from the type of performance where he could be Sam again in a way that I would like. Not mm. that I don't like Shia LaBeouf, but like he's he's not that anymore. Like it would feel really awkward and kind of uncomfortable to see him do that again. Mm. Uh, and I think that like that that would really take away from the character of Sam. Um, and like the, those three films, I've had enough of him. Like I'm sad he's gone, but you know, like if I want more Sam, I'll go back to those. Uh, where I feel like I haven't got enough of Charlie yet. So, yeah. That makes sense to me. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, there we go. That's Bumblebee. I don't know what more. Just, I feel like I have to say more because I just really like this movie, but, uh, I mean, we'll keep it brief, like Bumblebee. That's the other thing that we... I, how do we not mention this? This movie is so much shorter. I watched it today because you can watch this movie in an afternoon and still have time to record a podcast in the evening, unlike any movie directed by Michael Bay. So that was refreshing well, to like look at the clock and be like, oh, I actually have time. Yeah, this movie does not, it, it, there's no fluff to it. 
that that's one yeah. thing that I was like I've always thought about this movie is there's not that third act scene where it again all of Michael Bay's third at third acts are like dragged out by a half hour to me. Um, and then there's little parts throughout the entire movie where it's like you could have cut here, you could have cut there, but you know his third acts are always way too long for my taste. Uh, this movie does not do that at all. It's very succinct. Agreed. So there we go. That's a review of Bumblebee. Um, if you like this episode, listen to the other Transformers episode. Listen to the other Bumblebee episode. Check out the episode on Kubo and the Two Strings. Also, just go see Kubo and the Two Strings if you haven't already. It's fantastic. Um, but yeah, the Basin Binge. We just finished um, Transformers. The reviews that the Matt, Rob, and myself did earlier on How to Train Your Dragon. Uh, those will be coming. We review them at the beginning of this year in like February and they're finally being released because I have time to edit them. Additionally, at the time of this being released, I should have mentioned this at the beginning and I forgot to, uh, it is September, which is the three-year anniversary of the Basin Binge, which is crazy to me that it's been three years, uh, which means if all goes well, I have to be careful. I've realized the pattern. If I ever make an announcement on the Basin Binge that like something is going to be released within a schedule, everything in my life just falls apart and it never happens. Like I just, I can't, announce things in advance anymore or else they never happen so fingers crossed that this because it's still august but anyway yeah if everything goes right in september there is a patreon for the basin binge if you want to help me as a poor college student and want to consider supporting the basin binge there's a patreon there are some benefits for some extra episodes more details about that on patreon and future episodes to come but yeah so how to train your dragon series matt i we've talked about doing the jason Bourne series i think that's coming up for you but i'll let you talk about that in a second I have no idea what's next at the basement binge. I got to get my stuff together because I've uh, been doing too many things. So I got to the uh, those three How to Train Your Dragon episodes are a nice little filler for me to get back to organization. But uh, maybe now that I've said that, everything's going to go absolutely nuts. Finger crossed it doesn't. So anyway, enough of that blum- blundering. Matt, give you a chance to talk about things going at. Matt goes to the movies one more time. Yeah, um, I mean... The the main series that's going to be covered coming up is the the Jason Bourne series, uh, including the Bourne Legacy. So that'll be, uh, you know, a series of five movies kind of stealing a a little bit of a thing from the basement binge and doing an entire series. Um, That'll be the next big thing. But there will be, you know, uh, episodes of She-Hulk coming every Thursday. And I just found out. And this isn't going to be for a while, but to go along with my October, like two months ahead, like everything in October will be a horror movie. But I just found out that Halloween ends will be releasing on Peacock same day as theaters. So that would probably speed up my review process for that movie. And uh, I'm really looking forward to that. So I was at the theater a few weeks ago. And I saw a poster for that, and I've been meaning to ask about you ever since. If you're looking forward to it, oh yeah, I uh, yeah, yeah. I, I probably have a sickness because I'm so obsessed with the Michael Myers <laughs> Halloween movies. But uh, yes, I think Halloween 2018 is almost as close to a perfect horror movie as you can get. Halloween Kills has a really great concept that is a little over ambitious, and Halloween Ends. I'm just incredibly looking forward to 
Uh, even though I can get it on Peacock, I will probably still shell out money to go to the theater and buy a giant pu- tub of popcorn that's not good for me and and watch it in theaters. <laughs> those are the best. Uh, if I remember right from the Halloween Kills episode, you said that that it's a good thing they were releasing them, I think like a year apart it was, uh, because Halloween Ends is, is like needed to finish Halloween Kills in a good way. So I, yeah. although I will not go anywhere near that movie because I'm a chicken liver, <laughs> I will enjoy the episode when it's released because I've been I although, although I never saw the movie I listened to the episode and I because you said that you were waiting for Halloween's ends I've been waiting for Halloween ends so that you could tell me. <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah no Harrison Hall- is going to vicariously live through yes. me. <laughs> yeah no it's Halloween Kills is one of those movies that the the first one was rated so well by fans and then the second one really kind of got chopped up that if you you know, it's one of those things where if you waited too long, it probably people would not go out to see it. But because it's only a year apart, I think there's still enough interest to see um, at least the the people that I talk to and the the social media stuff that I do with with Halloween. Uh, there's still enough interest that this movie should make some pretty good money. Now, is that going to be affected by a, a Peacock release? Uh, probably because you can pay four ninety nine and and get Peacock. So I don't know if a lot of people would do that over going to the theater. I, I will say, just this is totally unrelated. Stop sleeping on the service of Peacock. It's actually pretty good. And for $4.99, like, I mean, I'm not like a, a this is not sponsored, but Peacock's pretty decent. <laughs> yeah, it's for, for the value, there's, for the value, I think it's actually a way better value than Paramount Plus until they release Top Gun Maverick on that, and then all bets are off. So, uh, yeah, there you go. Things coming at the Basement Binge, things coming at Matt Goes the Movies. You can subscribe to both of them wherever you're currently listening to this. However these sound waves are entering your ears, you can subscribe. Uh, episodes are coming. We appreciate it. Thank you for listening. Thank you again, Matt and Rob, for joining me. I've been looking forward to these, and I'm glad that Matt is stealing some notes from the Basement Binge so that I can continue to talk to the two of you about movies because this has been a fun, a lot of fun. <laughs> uh, and I was like trying to find a way to continue another series with the two of you and, and then Matt did it for me. So that's great. I'm grateful for that. So yeah, great things coming. Thank you everybody for listening. Thanks for enjoying these Transformers movies with me. They've been a ton of fun. So once again, if you haven't heard it enough, this is the Basement Binge and that's all for now. Ciao, ciao.